Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Theatrical Mustang Podcast. I'm your host, Woodzik. This is episode 120 with Regan Linton, who is the artistic director of Denver's award-winning Family Theater Company, which produces professional plays and musicals that exclusively feature actors with all nature of disabilities, physical, cognitive, intellectual, and emotional we had a great conversation. Regan's just finishing up directing their next show, which is Romeo and Juliet, which will be performed in the Carson Theater at Dairy Arts Center. Tickets are going really quickly, y'all. It runs April 14th through the 22nd. You can hop on to tickets at thedairy.org to secure yours today. The rest of their season, they're doing Into the Woods in the new renovated space theater at Denver Center for the Performing Arts. Opening night for that has a big hoopla of a fundraiser that sounds super amazing that you should all go to. And then they close out their theater season with Harvey. So make sure to check out all the amazing work that family is doing, both in Boulder and Denver. You're gonna love this conversation, but before we get to it, if you're Seattle-based, I wanted to give y'all the heads up. There's an exciting collaboration that's gonna be happening April 22nd through the 24th at 18th and Union, an art space. It's a co-pro between MAP Theater and Midnight Rice Productions. And they're doing the first public performance of the Non-Binary Monologues Project, which they have entitled Neither her, he, nor there. It's really cool when you see it all written out in the Facebook event, brown paper tickets link. So I'm gonna have a link to that in the episode description as well. If you're in Seattle, please check it out. Please and thank you. And now friends, without further ado, please enjoy episode 120 with Reagan Linton. Welcome, Reagan Linton, the artistic director of Family Theater Company, to the podcast. Welcome. Thank you. That, uh, I mean, you say it with such gusto. It, it sounds so exciting. I am filled with gusto, if nothing else. I want to talk about your upcoming production of Romeo and Juliet. It's happening April 14th through the 22nd. And as a box office associate, I know that the ticket sales are going. They're going like hotcakes. They are, are so excited to like see this good show. Hotcakes, you like know? good hotcakes, not Mrs. Lovett's <laughs> pies. Uh, I mean, I guess they went like hotcakes. We've just already gone to Sondheim, which is not quite. Mm-hmm. It's the next stop on our train. And food. I always <laughs> like to go to food, so we can do Yummy that anytime. Things. Uh, so why Romeo and Juliet? You know, well, I'm a big fan of Shakespeare. Um, I know some people wonder why are we doing this white straight man's work after however many hundreds of years. Um, but I think it's really, it's, uh, it's the poetry and the language and the deep human themes that connect to everybody. I think that's one of the things that I am, I'm attracted to the most um, are these kind of universal experiences of the character. And it's just drama. And it's like, you can't help but like get right <laughs> to the core of something that's uh, like so real when you're speaking his, um, when you're speaking his language. So, I mean, it's that. And then I think it just gives our, our, our company a great opportunity to do work that a lot of other companies do and to dip our toes and our wheels in it and um and give it a go so and Romeo and Juliet you know it's a it's a love story I was reading something that says in Romeo and Juliet either um love dies or the lovers die so it's these high stakes you know uh this high stakes love story and I think that's something that our our constituents deal with like they deal with high stakes all the time they deal with love but as people with disabilities often that's not you know we don't talk about that a lot and so I just love like tossing tossing them in and uh, our actors are are having a great time with it so yeah so I think it's it's the love it's the poetry it's the Shakespeare it's Shakespeare theatrical opportunity (laughs) it's a lot of a lot of and it's just a great play it really is I've been reminded of that as we've been reading through it I'm just like gosh he did a really really nice job with this I mean save a few things that that we've cut but (laughs) other than that yeah so what uh what is your casting process directorial process like yeah I mean it um Part, so casting, we hold open auditions for all of our 
all of our shows. And, you know, for me, it's really looking at, like, who's going to bring something unique to this role that is not typical, that's not conventional. Our theater company, um, you know, re-envisions these plays in a, in a different way, largely because of the actors that we're using who do not have typical bodies, typical minds, typical, typical cognitive ways of working, um, and, you know, whatever is typical even. Um, right. So... I, I look for what is what who's going to make this interesting and intriguing, and that often means like the quote unquote best person for the role may not get it because we're looking for a different take on on a particular character. Um, so it's really a fun process of casting of like what is the right mix like what's the it's like cooking you know what even though I'm not a very good cook but I hope I'm a better <laughs> casting person than I am cook but like what are you going to throw in here that makes for an interesting um, final dish um, and then uh, so we I mean we hold open auditions and then sometimes we do we do callbacks with readings this time we it was just kind of like a callback in the room. Um, and then, uh, in terms of our, did you say our production process or rehearsal yeah, process? Yeah, rehearsal. And how, how does, because I, I yeah. feel when folks look at your mission, they probably, their imagination goes in all different places in terms sure. of how it might be different from a traditional rehearsal process. And so right. I just want to get a peek behind the curtain, so to speak. Yeah, and I think if you pull that curtain, um, it looks very similar. So, you know, we were founded as a theater company. Our founders um, were people with disabilities, but they wanted to do theater, and therefore that's that's really our primary focus. We're there to be a theater company that just happens to involve um, these individuals with disabilities of all kinds. Um, but therefore, we really we try to make it a very professional process that would kind of mirror just about any other professional process. I think the unique pieces are what we do in the room there are some you know we understand that our actors may be bringing things into the room that are different from other people other actors on a day-to-day basis um in fact even yesterday it was like all of us came into the room and we just decided like it was a weird day today you know like one person had kind of had fallen one person had uh, and I had some like health issues yesterday you know it's just like those things and so we allow space for those things to be in the room and then we move through them and get on with the work um, and then there's just a lot of adaptation you know we have power chairs that are maneuvering around people who are using white canes and you know visually impaired and and then you have different ways of communicating because you have people on the autism spectrum who are communicating with people who experience bipolar disorder you know like so it's just it's a lot of adaptation a lot of empathy a lot of really focusing on how do we work as an ensemble to make this a unique uh, dance of life as opposed to you're supposed to do this and you do it this way and so but in terms of the professional structure we still maintain a very professional structure in terms of um you know, we rehearse, we're learning lines, we're blocking, we're taking a break, we're coming back into the room, we're blocking, we're talking about the scene and about the characters and motivations and all of that. So um, it's it's a bit of both. It's it's unique and it's it's traditional at the same time. Absolutely. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. What? Tell me about your cast. What? How many folks are you doing this with? We have fifteen people in the cast, I believe. Uh, 14 or 15. I'm forgetting the count right now. Um, We have a few veteran performers who have been in the company for a long time, but we actually have a lot of new people who are brand new to family um, or have kind of been in our midst but never been in in a show. So, and it, it spans young people from late teens all the way to 70 something, I think. Um, and all different types of disabilities or adaptive abilities or unique abilities, whatever you want to call them. Um, we have people who are using wheelchairs, people who have emotional or cognitive or intellectual disabilities, um, and not just wheelchairs. I mean, there are other physical <laughs> physical disabilities Absolutely. as well. But um, it's a really, it's a fabulous, uh, very eclectic mix of humanity that we have in the room that um, are really putting a unique spin on this very like age-old story so and they're all they're all so excited to be there and do the work Um, you know these are individuals who many of them based on various circumstances 
they might audition for other companies, but they won't get cast because the other companies, you know, either not at that place attitudinally to incorporate them or environmentally their spaces are not accessible or, you know, and so I think a lot of our cast members have experienced for whatever reason um, exclusion. And so finally, I think they're just so excited to be part of the process and to be speaking these beautiful words and, um, and, and part of an ensemble of a, of a company. Absolutely. So, yeah. I do want to talk about the rest of this season that you have going on, but since you talked about that word exclusion, diversity and inclusion are such buzzwords. Sure. In the nonprofit, yeah. not only in the nonprofit sector, but many sectors. Right. I would just love to have, since your company is someone who's doing the damn work. <laughs> yeah. Right. As opposed to folks who sometimes talk about diversity and inclusion but maybe more from the optics perspective right and i think we're going to be seeing this seismic shift in terms of funding demanding diversity mm-hmm. and inclusion within the next five to ten years but how do we do it and do it well as a theater industry mm-hmm. like what anything that you want to share from your experience oh yeah i mean it's so it's so complex i was actually at a, a conference a couple weekends ago we were talking about this and it's almost like I feel like some organizations have started putting on EDI face. Um, so <laughs> EDI stands for Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion. And kind of like black face, yellow face, crip face. It's like they're putting on EDI face because it's like the hip thing or the, what you know they need to get funding. And it's this difficult thing of like, well, you want organizations to be true to what their, their work is and not to just be pandering. Um, and at the same time, you want them to be authentically including people. Um, so I think it, it starts at, you know, in my mind, it's, there are a lot of different aspects of it. Um, it's looking at who is in your population, who are you leaving out, who's on your staff, um, who's making the decisions at the top, which I think that's a huge piece of it, which, you know, to be frank, family, um, for many years did not have somebody in the leadership, um, that would that had a disability but i think uh the company always wanted that and i think the leadership was always mindful of it but we have gotten to the place where we realize like oh no we need individuals with disabilities you know who who understand the experience of our actors also making the decisions um and then um but then you know in a in a larger sense it's just about becoming more aware i think another thing about the equity, diversity, inclusion work right now, um, it's largely been focused in the past on on racial identity and, and culture and gender identity. And disability has kind of been like the ugly stepchild of the of the diversity conversation. And um, which is odd because disability is like the one thing that trans, you know, can, can cover all of those different identities, right. um, cultural identities, that it doesn't, you know, disability doesn't discriminate based on you know what your other identities are. Um, so I, I think disability is starting to come more into the conversation. Um, my experience with it, and well, or at least my hypothesis, is that sometimes disability gets left out of the conversation because like there's not even the belief that those, those individuals are worth including in the conversation, which mm-hmm. is a whole, it's a whole deeper, um, you know, thing thing to to ruminate on, um, but in turn, you know, I I think because we were founded by people with disabilities, that's always been at the heart of of how we treat people in our organization and what we're looking at, and that that empathy. It's the reason our fa- our name is family. Um, our founders were very intentional about that. They they wanted to make sure that the energy and the spirit of the company would always be like a family, like an F family where people look out for each other and you, you're you all meaningful, you all matter, you're all a piece of the company or the, the family in some way, um, company and family. Um, so I think that's then it's kind of bled out to how we treat people. So inclusion and equity and diversity for us is just about we want to make sure you're in the room and we want to make sure we're setting you up for success and we're going to make you give you as good of a possibility of being successful as anyone else. So what does that take? You know, so what are those accommodations? What are those things that we need to do? Um, and we're a very adaptive company. I mean, adaptation is like the heart of, of what we do and, and realizing also being humble and that like we can mess it up as well as anybody and we have 
a willingness to admit and, and see when we're messing up and then to make it better. So I think all those are different pieces of like, how do you do inclusion well? I think it's first assessing your organization and saying, what do we have in place and what are we missing? And let's be honest about what we're missing. Right. And then start taking real steps that are not just like, oh, let's pick one play that, that kind of fits, checks this box, you know, but like, how do you form partnerships with people in the community that are long lasting? Um, and how do you really start building into your infrastructure, um, looking out for the, those different populations that maybe have been excluded? So, sorry, that was a long, long answer that to was your so, I wish I <laughs> wish this were a visual medium because you, I mean, yeah. that was electric, like to be in oh, the thanks. room with you. <laughs> it's my hand gestures, my jazz hands. <laughs> jazz hands, all the way to the bank. Um, but thank you. Thank you yeah. for that. I really appreciate it. I want to talk about your next show after Romeo and Juliet closes. Next up is going to be Into the Woods, Into one of my woods. favorite yes. shows. <laughs> is it really in the world? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean it's one of those shows. I think there are a few shows as an actor where you're like, I would come back to that one. And so I've been lucky enough to. I played Little Red. Oh nice! In it, and so I would like to. I, I don't know if there's a part I wouldn't want to play. Maybe uh-huh. not Rapunzel because those notes are a little high. But um, I feel the same way. <laughs> I feel the same way. Yeah. <laughs> so tell me about the the selection of this in your season and uh, why why folks are gonna wanna show up for it. You know, it's funny. I was not a big um, Sondheim fan growing up. Like I just wasn't. Those Sondheim's work wasn't what I was exposed sure. to a lot. Um, so I actually came to it through family because some of my fellow actors, when I was part of the company, the acting company, um, you know, twelve to fifteen years ago. Um, they loved Into the Woods, and they said this is this would be the perfect show for our company um, because of so many different reasons. I mean, it's an ensemble-based piece. Um, it's all about fairy tales. These fairy tale characters, who then all of a sudden the fairy tale becomes real life, and you're talking about like what is, what's the reality of actually living in this world, and what are the what are the paths and the journeys, and you know um, that that are more realistic of, of what we actually face in life. Um, and that's very much what our company is. It's like, well, yeah, all of, whether you're somebody who, you know, was born and your parents thought, oh my gosh, I'm going to have the perfect child. And then all of a sudden you're born without an arm and they're like, whoa, that's not what we expected. And, you know, or whether you are living half your life and then all of a sudden you're in an accident or, right. you know, whatever the circumstances, um, I think our actors have a, a solid understanding of what it is to have life not look like the typical fairy tale that we're often um, told about uh, in our in our larger society sure. and, and messaging and narrative. Um, so uh, yeah, I think and so. Actually, those actors that there was a group of actors years ago that wrote to the artistic director at the time and said, "Hey, we want to do this show." And um, so it's just always been in my mind that like this would be a good show for our company. And so when I returned to the to family um, about a year and a half ago, um, I just just thought, "Okay, great." This and it's a because it's fairy tales. It gives you such an opportunity to be creative, and it's not fairy tales in the way that we think of Disney, but it's Grimm's fairy tales that are a little darker, you know. And I like that idea of taking family a little darker again to kind of abolish these stereotypes that people with disabilities always have to do light fluff. That's you know, sure. um, saccharine and and um, uh, yeah, uh, just. I'm, I'm not finding the right word at the moment, um, but that are um, we just sweeter and in, our, in boxes, safe, right? safe. Yeah, that's the word and I'm that looking for. That's a simple safe. word. But yeah. We found the word safe. <laughs> it was in the box. Fantastic. Yeah, the dis- people with disabilities don't always have to be safe. I mean, and frankly, it's the most ridiculous like paradox because most people with disabilities do not live safe lives. Um, uh, so you know, they've experienced all sorts of trauma or, um, you know, I mean, I was just listening to a, the um, Colorado Public Radio story recently about all of the sexual abuse trauma that people with disabilities often experience. And it's like, that's a whole area of life that like nobody wants to talk about, you know, even though it's very real. So, um, so anyway, yeah, I just, and I think often our company members are craving that, like they're craving doing something that's just not the light fluff of the musical theater world. So, um, you know, we don't do that every year, but I like to go deeper and darker when we can. And I think this is a good show to do it because it's just, I mean, it's a beautiful show. 
Um, so, so I guess that's kind of where I was coming from. <laughs> Absolutely. So it was playing July 12th through August 5th in the Space Theater right. at Denver Center for the Performing Arts. Yes, which you're, we're so fortunate. Like the Denver Center has been a long time partner of ours and been very um and you know they were doing it they were partnering and supporting us before it was hip you know before the zdi stuff came right. around and um they've always been they've always always had a keen eye on access and how to how to include people with disabilities and so i just i just want to give them a shout out because um it's 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 been pretty amazing that a lot of other regional theater companies don't have their focus and their eye on mm. on disability and the dcpa has for nearly 30 years that's about how long we've been down there so that's incredible yeah yeah so anyway it's and and it continues to get better I mean the space which were we were in the stage last year because the space was being renovated and a lot of the new aspects of the renovated um, space of the space theater <laughs> um, are really accessible in in like fun and sometimes hidden ways that you know like backstage there are um, little rails on the floor that help for somebody who's visually impaired to know where the the side of the walking space is so that they don't whack their head on the beam you know that's underneath the stage so things like that um, it's it's a great it's a great um, space for us to be in no pun intended with the, it's, the well, space, yeah, I know when you're space, talking about the space, space, the space. space, space so space. have you had auditions yet for that show we have yes it is fully cast um, we actually just finally cast our uh, our narrator because we were specifically looking for um, an actor who would speak ASL uh, or use ASL American Sign Language and so we have a, a deaf actor who will be playing our narrator and so that was the last piece of our wow. casting and now we're fully cast yeah. Um, so yeah we're it's it's moving into high gear we're designing and thinking about all the different elements and so yeah and y'all have a fundraiser that's we do. Thank you Give me for the date asking. about that. Yeah. Oh, I, I was in de- I was in development for many years. So yeah, man, it is always it's always a challenge. As much as like the arts lift us up and fill our lives, you know, making it work is always a challenge. So yes, we are this year. We're doing our fundraiser on our opening night of Into the Woods. So That's we're so calling smart. it. Yeah, I think so. Uh, we're calling it the Big Night Family's Big Night. So it's going to be um, on July fourteenth. And it will be a like pre-show reception plus the show, so you get to see the show as well as do the fundraising ask and all that, and then a post-show champagne toast with the cast and crew. So it should be a pretty extraordinary fun night, and I hope that everyone comes out to join us. Um, yeah. Marking my calendar. All right. <laughs> <laughs> and then you're closing this season with Harvey. Harvey, which I is know. Just like, one of those staples of theater that I don't think is ever going to go away. It is. And, you know, it's funny when I was I was looking for I, – I was actually – the reason I was um, – I looked at Harvey initially was that I was looking for a female playwright um, who, you know, of established work and yeah. thinking, like, what fits with our company. But, you know, I'm, I'm very – I'm trying – well, I'm trying to be very cognizant of, like, who are the – what are the different – diversities that we're representing at all points in the game including our playwrights so anyway and it turns out mary chase is also a denver writer she used to write for the rocky mountain news and uh so that's kind of a cool connection yeah um but yeah i mean harvey you know it's this story about a family that like thinks their their brother is crazy and they're trying to take money from him and all that and they want to institutionalize him and then by the end of the play well I don't want to give it away but you know everybody shifts and um, <laughs> and their perspectives change by the right. end of the play which is again really well suited to our company um, and it's exciting because we're doing it in uh, partnership with senior housing options which is another nonprofit in Denver that serves uh, individuals, seniors, and people with disabilities and provides housing for them. So it's a really cool partnership to bring our arts and culture program out into the community, serving mm. the pop- same sort of population that, you know, and people that don't necessarily often get the opportunity or the access to theater. Um, so we're going to be in their space, which will be really exciting and different for us because it's our first kind of site-specific theater production that we'll be doing outside of a theater, um, a typical theater space. Super exciting. Yeah. So that show opens on October 18th, runs through November 11th. And so obviously if people will have the uh, link to your website in the episode description, but 
P-H-A-M-A-L-Y.org is the best way to get all the info about all the things. Yes. And I also just want to mention that this year is the first year we're doing something called Inclusive Hospitality for the summer. Um, I'm not sure if we're doing it yet for Harvey, but uh, essentially it is, we're going to be offering a a limited number of tickets two hours before showtime that are just available for a dollar because we realize that there are a lot of people who don't have access to theater for financial reasons. So uh, we want to try, and that often affects our population that we serve, people with disabilities who are on fixed incomes or don't have the same kind of income availability that others have. So um, so yes, there, there will be some tickets available for a dollar and we're gonna see how that goes and hopefully expand that to all of our plays in the future. It's so important because people, I mean, when people think about access, right, I think mm-hmm. they think they limit it to the physical, right, the physical nature of access, but there's so much to think about in terms mm-hmm. of if you really, and again, when theaters or arts organizations want to get that sometimes younger, sometimes, you know, the folks who we don't usually get, right, I mean... Yeah, Fi- financial aspects can be one of the hugest impediments. Oh, totally. Yeah. yeah, and I, you know, and we try to keep our our general pr- price point fairly affordable between you know twenty and thirty dollars. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean that can be prohibitive for a lot of people, especially if you have a family or um, it, for any number of reasons. So uh, so yeah, we we want to make the theater experience in our unique professional theater experience available to everybody so so we hope people will come out and join us <laughs> I want to pivot now to talk about you and your journey this Ugh. is the inside yeah, the actor studio oh good let me get my uh, note cards out Just yeah kidding. with that what do they call that that questionnaire at the end oh the, the oh it's the Pierre it's it's yeah, a French thing it yeah 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 with the with the yeah the same the same nine questions mm-hmm. yeah so can you identify the moment where you were like theater performing? This is something that I think will be a lifelong thing for me. I still don't know if I've made that final decision. You know, like <laughs> I don't know, especially working in nonprofit arts. You know, there are just well, tar- tough yep. times where there are different days where I'm like, why didn't I like become a farmer? Not that farming is any easier, you know. But um, but no, I mean, I think I think. My mom would say she knew very young that I was going to be in theater or very in performing. Um, I, I mean, I used to sit in my bathroom and sing songs and then do fake interviews with, you know, imaginary talk show hosts that were in the mirror or like sitting across from my toilet. Oh, um, I love it. <laughs> um, but, you know, and then I think I, I, there were a couple of different phases that I went through. So I grew up in Denver going to East High School and um, had an amazing theater community there. Like it was, I kind of didn't know where I fit up to that point. I was actually, I was an athlete, but I didn't really fit with the athletes. And so I finally kind of found my home in the theater theater department at East um, when Melody Duggan was teaching there and she was just one of the most extraordinary um, theater teachers. Anyway, um, so that was the first kind of thing where I was like, okay, I think I found my place. But then um, going to college, I didn't really feel like I, I, I didn't know that that was where I went to college initially for film production oh, and wow. then kind of decided like, oh, I don't know that I want to, I, I had a professor who said in one of my first classes he was like you know you're never going to be a good filmmaker if you don't have a good story to tell and so I was like well then why am I in film why am I not like out in the world you know so then I I ended up in American studies after like five different majors and um, but it was while I was in college that I was in a car accident and paralyzed when I was in Los Angeles and that completely shifted my world and I didn't I didn't think acting was ever going to be an option for me anymore. I didn't think a lot of the arts and, and I was just in a like shitty headspace where I was like, you know, I don't know, I don't know what's going to happen with my life now. Um, so I came back to Denver to do my rehab at Craig hospital and then, um, went back to school, finished up. And that was the time that I discovered family, uh, theater company. And, and so then there was like a, Another moment, and and the moment I always go to, I so I auditioned for in two thousand five for uh, Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, and I was kind of like, uh, I don't know about this. And as it got closer to the opening night, I was like, <laughs> Oh my God, what have I done? Like, 
I'm using a wheelchair and I'm going on stage and all my family is going to see me like doing this choreography and I'm going to feel like an asshole. Um, <laughs> and, uh, but I rolled on stage that first night and I had this moment where I was doing, it was go, 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 Joseph. Right. right. When the, mm-hmm. you know, go, 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 Joseph, you know what they say. And we're doing these like sixties dance moves and, and I look over and I saw my friend Kevin Pettit, who is a traumatic brain injury survivor and um, sometimes has trouble remembering lyrics because of his traumatic brain injury. But so I don't know that he was saying the right lyrics, but he was just like having a ball and going all out. And it was just this boom, like momentary epiphany of like, what the fuck do I care what people think of me? You know, like here I am, I'm filling up this stage, I'm getting to do what I love and I'm, I'm like finding myself anew. And so it was that it was that coupled then with um, when I went back to school for my MFA in acting and and started to like learn my instrument anew, um, you know, learn my body and realize like, oh, we have all of these prescriptions of how your body's supposed to be and how we're supposed to move through world with with our physical instrument. Um, but there's no one way to do that. And like if all of us could just break out a little bit mm. more um, which is exciting because I think it's what we're seeing some with our young people now of like, I don't have to fit into this type. I don't have to fit into this prescribed, you know, gender or, or, uh, or ability or a category of any kind. Like we can just kind of be fluid between the categories. Um, but I think that's, that was the second moment that I realized like, oh, theater, theater is something that I don't think I can do without in my life because it's, it's what afforded me the freedom again and the flexibility and the creative space to develop my identity anew after my identity had been majorly shifted after trauma. Um, and that's what I really believe in, in terms of the social justice and social change aspect of theater. It's providing that like literal space, but also metaphorical safe space where people can come in and there are no, you know, aside from like, the walls that are surrounding you. There are no other boundaries. And I'm a big believer in freedom within structure. So you have that safety of that structure that's surrounding you, and then you can play and you can explore and you can create. And I think, you know, too, too um, infrequently we, we have those spaces anymore in real life. I think they're virtually popping up a lot more, but um, in terms of our actual physical selves, like we don't, we don't often get that space. So, I think it's a very therapeutic space. I think it's a very um, exciting space to be in. And I think that's where I just realized like, oh, I got to connect with this space the rest of my life in some, in some way, shape or form. So tell anyway, me about, yeah. tell me about your <laughs> graduate work. Things. Yeah, no, yeah. I'm just like, I could just listen to you for <laughs> like two hours and not ask any questions, but uh, tell me about your graduate studies. So I went to UC San Diego and I was the first person who used a wheelchair who had ever gone through their program. Um, and just for clarification, so I was in a, my car accident, I, I resulted in a T4 complete spinal cord injury, which means essentially I'm paralyzed from my chest down, um, which, you know, always is, <laughs> even with the body, it's like the body's never a set thing. So I think I've, I've found like weird ways that I connect to parts below my point of injury um, that I never expected when I was initially diagnosed. But um, sometimes it's not in the way you want, like pain often makes it through, like that's the way I connect to other points in my body. But anyway, so I went to grad school um, and, and I think, you know, everybody, initially my class, so there were seven other people in my class, uh, class of eight and from all, all different walks of life. And I think initially they were like, oh, how's this going to work? You know, <laughs> like, um, we're in some of our initial introductory like movement classes and doing, um, you know, like contact improv, which is where sure. you're improvising physically and like leaning on each other and experimenting. And, you know, and I think initially there was a thought of like, oh, we don't want to hurt Reagan or, but very quickly we got over that. And, yeah. you know, soon we're like rolling on the floor together. <laughs> I mean, you do a lot of weird things in grad school. I remember talking to my brother, <laughs> my brother is a businessman and I would like call him on a break and he'd be like, okay, you go back. And what are you going to do this afternoon? I'm like, well, we're going to like breathing we're gonna go work on our breathing and he's like okay I don't get it at all like whatever go go do your your lip trills and whatever it is you do um but so it was very intensive you know you spent a lot of the time during the day doing 
voice, text, acting, movement, um, all different, singing, uh, all different disciplines. Also, because UCSD is an interdisciplinary program, you're working with playwrights and designers and um, directors all the time. And then at night, you're you're rehearsing plays or musicals, and um, so it's it was it was a lot. It was a lot to go through physically, um, but it was that time of like. I mean, it, I, I wish every person could go through, you know, MFA acting training because it just makes you, like, hyper aware of yourself, like actors often are, and you're like, ugh. Um, it, it's what gets us that, that you know, either rightly or wrongly um, earned reputation of being self-centered. But it really is just that it, as an actor, you have to focus on yourself and how, how your body and how your instrument is going to be used um and so it is it's a lot of internal reflection and a lot of assessment of yourself and I think that was that was nice for me to be able to assess like what this what this bone flesh fascia uh you know thing is and and then figure out how it was going to work and so anyway it was three years of intense kind of study and and by the end I feel like I came out really thinking of myself very differently um, as an artist and and thinking of like where I fit and being aware of the disability identity and the wheelchair identity and and being aware of like every time I get on stage that's what people are going to see and therefore understanding okay how do I work with that how is that not a barrier um, but then how do I work with that what characters fit well with that how do I you know in a sense like manipulate that um, to to know okay what's the audience's first experience going to be or impression and then how do I maybe kind of curve and, and take them in a different direction than what they expected um, so yeah, it was it was incredible, and what, I love UCSD. What were some of your like cliff notes of the highlights in terms of roles that you got to play? Oh my, um, I played a Southern matriarch who drank bourbon, and <laughs> that was like one of the best ones. Uh, for a friend of mine, David Myers, he wrote a play, uh, and yeah, and that was really I, I kind of found that like my the Southern matriarch is like this hidden personality inside myself that yes. I think. <laughs> Hopefully someday I'll, I'll get to just be, you know, like live down in the South and, and drink bourbon all day. Um, <laughs> but, um, and then I also, like I was in Three Penny Opera and I, that, that dark gritty, um, I, I played the, the, the main, I can't even remember what the character is, but the one who sings Mac the Knife at the very beginning. And that was kind of fun and it was all yeah. about revolution brewing and, you know, it's very dark but very, um, uh, appropriate for like the time that we're even living in now um, and then I also did I did Laura in Glass Menagerie which was you know it's funny I, I joke with a couple of my friends who are actors with disabilities and about like a play could be written about a woman with a disability getting caught in a perpetual you know playing Laura over and over again because it's like the one role that people always <laughs> this will work this will work it'll be fine it'll yeah be fine. Um, but it was also like all of a sudden, I was like, oh my gosh, having somebody who actually has a disability play this role completely changes the play. Um, because often you're wondering, like, is it real? Is it not? Um, and so it, it was it was an extraordinary experience. Yeah, it was, um, and just an amazing play. I, I think it's a beautiful play. I know some people have problems with it, but yeah. So so those were, those were pretty, pretty great. <laughs> right on. And so how do we get from the end of the MFA to where we are today? Oh my gosh. Wow. That, um, <laughs> I feel like I need a scotch right now just to talk about that. But no, I mean, so, you know, we did, we did a showcase in New York and LA right. and I was fortunate enough to come out of that with an agent in LA who was fabulous and kind of saw me as an actor. Um, first rather than just like a wheelchair um and and so I moved to LA for a short time went through that rigmarole which was like incredibly I mean it beats anybody down like LA is a hard a hard so anyone anyone who knows someone who has gone to LA or New York and like done that for a time yeah it is rough um and and so I did that for a time and then was actually cast in the Oregon Shakespeare Festival company, so I went up there for a year and um, did a year with that that theater, which is amazing. Um, and then fell in love and moved to Montana, and then I uh, was offered the opportunity to come down and do this family job, and then um, 
sold my house in Montana and had a breakup and then went through a, you know, a tra- tragic, <laughs> tragic heartbreak and, ah! and, um, but then, you know, that was one of my life experiences that then led me here. So, um, so that's a Cliff's Notes version, I guess. <laughs> I dig it. I dig it. Yeah. Are there roles? Would, would you say that there are still roles, specific roles on your bucket list as an actor? Yes. Although I feel like every time I'm asked this question, I can never think of what they are or like which. Um, because and, and I think it's different things at different times. But one of the ones I would love, and I actually like the other night just happened to pick up the play and read through it again. But um, Beckett's Happy Days. Mm. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but it's. Yeah. Samuel Beckett wrote this play that's, he told his wife he was going to write a play about happiness, or she was like, why don't you ever write about happiness, you know, and so he did, and it's this woman who's stuck in a molehill, and in the first act, she's up to her waist, and in the second act, she's up to her neck, but it's essentially like going through the motions of life and kind of realizing you're getting to that point later in life and being like, what is this, and um, so it's a very, I, I just think it's a beautiful piece, and I, and they're, you know kind of connections to me too of just thinking of like being paralyzed up to your waist and what is that looking at going through the motions of life and thinking of wanting to kill yourself and um and then so there there are other ways in which it resonates for me um but I would love it's a shit ton of lines but (laughs) but I would love to do that play someday um and then I don't know I mean like I've never done Sam Shepard. I've never done um, some other some other bodies of work that I think I would really enjoy doing at some point. So, so hopefully, and Shakespeare. You know, I've only I've only really been in like one fully staged Shakespeare production in my life, even though I've worked on it a lot. And um, so, I would love to do that as well. So I kind of, you know, I'm going to try to balance doing acting at the same time as artistic directing or. Or do this for a few years and then hopefully go back to acting um, when I'm an old lady. Because <laughs> I think those are the roles I'm really suited for. Like the older, like, I don't know, broken down humans. <laughs> I know. I get, jaded. I don't oh, know. <laughs> I hear you. No, I remember having having an acting teacher in my undergrad say, you're not going to hear this, but... <laughs> Directors aren't going to know what to do with you until you're 35. And totally. Just be like hearing that. Are you 35 now? I, do you feel I, like now the directors three know? More years, okay, okay. Three more years. But I, I remember just hearing just that at 21 and being mm-hmm. like, my life is over before it has started <laughs> to have someone. But in a weird way, I think she's right, but not for the reasons uh-huh. that she said at the time. But it's, uh, I don't know. I always love to do bucket lists for performers because you just never you never know who's listening and so I like to just yeah. put it put it out in the universe well well, thank you do you have a bucket list do you have do a I, role my, you want to play oh, how much time do we have um, I'm, I'm a big musical theater nerd um, mm-hmm. and so there's so many there's so many plays where I want to it's sort of my bucket list is under construction because <laughs> you know learning about myself and like my journey to my authentic gender and stuff like that there's so much unpacking I have to do in terms of type and what mm-hmm. what I was told I could do and and now as we go into audition season it's it's a thing because I'm like do I do I bring in like one male piece one female piece how do I present in the room my acting resume is now broken up by male female and non-binary roles my pronouns mm-hmm. are on it but I would say, like, it's about 50% of people who actually n- know what all that means in terms of coming into a room. Right. Uh, that's a really long way of coming around. I mean, I would love any of the roles in Sweeney Todd. I would love to do a production of Sweeney Todd where there were two of us who learned both Sweeney and Love It and swapped mm. every night. Like, that That would be, like, the top. I kind of want to go through all of Sondheim's canon and do gender-diverse <laughs> casting. Like, that. Yeah. That I mean, yes. like I would love to start with company because if any show lends itself to that, mm-hmm. that one totally does. Um, Judas and Jesus Christ Superstar, since I just saw yes. the live version. I know, and I thought that was a pretty good. Ver- <laughs> like it was, it was better than really any well any you know version I've seen recently. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, most of the stuff on my list is is music- musical theater and. 
I'm doing doing the brain the brain work. Oh my god! Uh, but just trying to figure out how to like be. A lot of what you're saying is resonating with me as well. But how do you be seen in the room the way that you want to be seen in the mm-hmm. room? Because you're bringing your stuff. The people on the other side of the table are bringing their stuff, which is a lot of stuff. Which a is lot a lot of, of stuff. <laughs> and how do you be this polite actor who can be everything to everyone and yet still fiercely self advocate? For yourself in the spaces that you want to be so absolutely that's all the stuff that's bouncing around in my my yeah. brain well and you know it's been so um it's been such an enlightening thing for me to be on the other side of it you know now that I've been fortunate enough to direct a few times and mm-hmm. and you know like what they say about you you want to give the director what they're looking for you know and whatever that is whatever that is for you like even if you are whatever you are and you want to you want to be this role then you walk or roll into the room and you give them that Um, and and that was such a hard thing for me to learn as an actor because I think often we are thinking of like well I just want to show how I'm diverse like I can play anything and I can you know I'll be whatever they want me to be and it's like no they want you to be you and whatever that you is if that you is Hamlet if that you is love it if that you is you know um, bring that into the room and and that's been so helpful for me to to sit on the other side and realize like oh yeah I just want people to be successful and I just want them to walk or roll in the room and I'm like yeah that's my person um, but but often I don't think that's what we're I don't know I don't think that's what we're taught as, as performers absolutely you know? not <laughs> we're taught like we got to be everything and we got to show them that like yeah yeah um, so but I completely honor what you're saying about also when you're when you're having to do the work to convince people to think more broadly when they're sitting on the other side of the table. And really, it's not even that broad. Like, it's not even that crazy. But, I mean, I often feel, uh, particularly when I was in L.A., it was like I was having to roll into a room, and not only was I having to convince them that I could play the role, but I was also having to convince them in those, like, two or however many minutes that, yeah. like, I was just worthy of living and, like, worthy of being a human. <laughs> and that's uh, just based on all the identity stuff that in the, yeah. you know, things that I was bringing into the room. And, and that's a lot to have to do, you know. It's like I would I can't wait till we get to that that time, which I think is is nigh, um, and is nigh particularly with certain companies and certain directors and certain um, of being able to go into the room as anything you are and not having to prove yourself like and just being able to do your craft and just being able to show them like here I'm an actor and I'm going to do this role for you and I'm going to do it really well and you're going to cast me regardless of you know what other identities I'm bringing in um, so I, I'm excited about that. I'm excited about that aspect of equity, diversity, inclusion. Yes. Of just like, so much. you know, yeah, of just appreciating the humanity and having that humanity and that diversity represented in the plays that we see and the musicals we see. Um, and not having to question. I remember when I was at OSF and they were doing um, Antony and Cleopatra and I, I ran into some patrons on the way home and, and there were, it was kind of gender, gender fluid casting um, and these patrons were like, well, you know, but there were women playing soldiers and I, we just didn't understand that and we just didn't, you know, and I was just like, okay, you missed like the entire, like that's what you were focusing on because like you, I don't know, you missed the entire point of the play. Like you missed the entire, you missed the entire story really because you were so fixated on that one aspect. So, um, and it made perfect sense to me. Um, so it, I'm just I'm excited. Well, see, yeah, in a different generation. Even last year, seeing CSF, like I remember seeing Rosencrantz and Guildenstern, and having two folks who were (laughs) older than, quite a bit older than I was, and just saying, "Well, I just don't see why Hamlet has to be a woman." Right. Yes, you've missed the entire. If that's the thing you get hung up on. And why can't we just be open? Why can't we just say, okay, let me watch this and see how this person does as Hamlet, you know? Yeah. Like, do do I connect with them? And do I appreciate their the emotion that they bring to the character? And, you know, and who the fuck cares what, you know, what gender they were identified as when they were born or what, you know, sexual organs they had when they were right. coming into the world? Like, why does that matter? Yep. As long as they can connect to a deeper human truth. Um, so 
I don't know. That's my perspective. But <laughs> yes, we are winding down here. Is there just a nugget of advice you want to leave our listeners? If they're like, yeah, I want, I want to do everything. I want to, I want to do all the things. I, how do I do the things? What, what, the things. what nugget of wisdom would you, would you like to send out to them? I think the one that's most on my brain right now is just, just you be you. Like you do you. Um, and and do it do it to the utmost extent, you know. Like, um, and if you feel like you don't know what you is, then get out there and like explore and go find you, <laughs> you know. Because um, I think that is when you have a really solid solid sense of what you're passionate about and what your purpose is and and who you want to be, um, and not that you have to shove that down people's throats. Um, but just that you're solid in like living that truth every day. Uh, so I think that's the biggest thing. And then also if you can become a computer programmer or financial person, um, you know, financial planner on the (laughs) side so that you can finance your arts. Like I really highly recommend that. Um, (laughs) because the arts, it's a, it's a challenging world we live in. Um, and unfortunately I think the arts don't get supported in the way that they deserve, um, and artists don't get supported. And there's some there's some aspect of you know struggle to that that I think is real, and that I think is real to making a, a true artist. And I don't think you can be an artist without experiencing true, real struggle at some point in your life, whatever that struggle looks like. Um, but um, but it's also really nice when you're just not having to worry about putting food in your mouth um (laughs) or like how are you going to pay for your rent and so i i believe in and i think it's also just a great opportunity to live those other lives that people are living and if you don't have a sense of what are the other jobs that people are doing you know that people are going and like working a construction job on a daily basis or working as a computer programmer then you're never going to know how to relate your art to that type of person um and so i think being being um having a lot of those different experiences will make you a better artist so uh so those i guess you be you and then also get a real job or like at least experience working a real job yeah. at some point in your life like those are um those are and then just i don't know try to get outside because it seems like our <laughs> natural spaces are dwindling and i think there's something very um elemental about also about being an artist that um, you need to connect to the bit, bits of earth that we have left, <laughs> and uh, so I would recommend those those three things. Is that was that three kind of ish? So um, so be yourself. Yeah, be you. And you do you. <laughs> maybe go go find a real job in nature. <laughs> yeah, go feel. Yeah, exactly. If you can combine all of them, like be you and find a real job in nature, perfect. <laughs> That's amazing. Regan, thank you so much for sitting down and talking with me. This thank has been you. a pleasure. This has been.